Okay, we're going to pick it up in verse 14, uh, where we left off in Luke uh, chapter 4, of course. Last week, we looked at the account of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, where he was led for 40 days to be tempted uh, by the devil after his baptism. Remember his baptism? I want to just use a couple things to launch off into this text that in his baptism account, when he came up out of the waters, the scripture tells us that the heavens were opened, that uh, the spirit of God descended upon him in the physical form of a dove and landed on him, and a voice spoke from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And so Jesus was identified by the Father, by the Holy Spirit, as the anointed and approved Son of God. And then he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after the devil had ended every temptation, we're going to read here that Jesus returned to the Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Let's check it out. Verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in, all, in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So the, the power of the Spirit. Now, one of, one of the things I want to point out to us just as we get into this this morning is that it's very clear when we read this that there is something supernatural that we're about to read about. This is not just uh, a man functioning in the realm of the natural, in the physical realm. Uh, these accounts about Jesus' life and ministry cannot be explained away and understood by just simply thinking about natural things. There is something supernatural at work in and through Jesus and acknowledging that work, that supernatural work of God is the only way that you can actually comprehend what we're about to read. It's, it's by the Spirit of God, by the power of God. And so Luke tells us that as Jesus came out of the wilderness and he just began to teach, that, that a report about him went out into the surrounding country. And the original language attaches this idea that it was, that it was like a story of fame going out. This isn't just gossip. It's not just like, hey, did you hear this guy like got baptized and the heavens opened and a voice spoke and a spirit of God descended in a form of dove. It was like fame was spreading. Awe was spreading. It was a work of the spirit. Hey, the guy disappeared into the wilderness after all this. Nobody's seen him for 40 days. And now, like, what is going on? So there was, there was awe. There was fame. And when he returned, he began to visit the synagogues and, and to teach people. And what was apparent was that there was a power present in his life. There was a power present in his ministry. There was a power in his word and an authority. It was the Holy Spirit working through him and everyone was speaking glowing reports about Jesus. Now verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Now, again, I, I found this text so interesting because there's some real hidden nuances in the original language that are just lost in translation. I'm going to point out a few of them this morning. But again, this idea is, this isn't just like, oh, he went home for Thanksgiving or something like that. 
This is the fact that Jesus was returning and this was his public appearance in his hometown. It's kind of like, you know, leaving your hometown and then you go off and you, you reach some level of fame or, or fortune or great success and then you come back and, and there's a bit of a hero's welcome in your hometown. It's like, it's, it's a public welcome. It's not just your family inviting you back. It's the community. You belong to the community now. It's like, hey, this guy's one of ours, you know. It's like in Canada, we get this. If a young boy grows up and plays hockey and wins the Stanley Cup, what does he do with that Stanley Cup? He comes back to his hometown, and it's like the whole community celebrates. It's a, it's a public return, and that's what happened to Jesus. He's not going back to the carpenter shop. He'd already been visiting and teaching in the neighboring synagogues, and he was being glorified by all who spoke about him because the the power of the Holy Spirit was evident in the things that he was saying. And I love what Luke tells us. He says this, as was his custom. Say this, as was his custom. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. That was to say that his custom was to gather together with the people of God in corporate worship. Isn't that awesome? That was the custom of the Lord Jesus. That was the ethos of his life. That was the manner and the practice of who he was and how he was brought up. When the people of God gathered in Nazareth at the synagogue every Sabbath, I'll tell you what, you could always count on the fact that Jesus would be there. He would be there to participate in fellowship and, and prayer and the reading of the scriptures. I like money in the bank in Nazareth was Jesus showing up on the Sabbath. He could always be dependent upon. I mean, like when he was a boy, remember? He said to his mom when she couldn't find him and he was in Jerusalem, didn't you know? I would be at my father's house. As a youth, as a young working man, you could bank on it. Jesus would always take his place with the people of God when they corporately gathered at the synagogue. And when his ministry began, uh, nothing changed. You could bank on it on the Sabbath. He would be with the people of God to worship God. Jesus knew this, I would say, that the assembly of God's people is not to be forsaken. I, I would bet... I would bet, like, think about it. I bet in Nazareth, Jesus actually put up with some really bad preachers. <laughs> but he went to the synagogue every day, every, every Sabbath day, you know? It's like he, he didn't join the gathering of God's people because it was perfect. He didn't choose to stay away because it wasn't perfect. He chose to gather with the people of God because when they gathered, it was centered on the Lord. I have a friend, uh, he, he loves to speak Proverbs 18, verse 1. He, I was talking to him this week, and he kept saying it. And I'm like, man, it was just resonating in my heart. And he, says, he said this, it says this in Proverbs 18, 1, that a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Jesus gathered with the people of God, and this was his custom towards the body of believers. And I think... You know, as we seek to do, that's what we should try to emulate. And so we read here that his fame was spreading. It, was reaching the, it had reached the ears of those who had watched him grow up. So when he went to the Sabbath, went to the synagogue on that Sabbath day, 
the blessing of reading God's word was laid upon him. And so we read this in verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. It's from Isaiah 61, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Man, may our eyes be fixed on Jesus. Isaiah 61 is an awesome passage of Scripture. I mean, the, the word in English that immediately catches my eye as we read this is the word proclaim. Did you hear it? Like how many times that text says proclaim? Proclaim good news to the poor. Proclaim liberty to the captives. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in English, we get one word, but in, but in Greek, there's two words used. Two different words used to describe what Jesus, uh, what, what Jesus read there in, in the proclamation of good news. One means to, to bring good news, to announce good, glad tidings, joyful tidings, to announce the news of God's kindness. But the other means this, to be a herald. He said, I, I, I've come to be a herald, to proclaim uh, uh, the word of the Lord in the manner after a herald, it's a suggestion, a suggestion actually of like formality to this role, that it, has a, that it has a gravity and an authority to what is being done. And, and that authority, that gravity is to be listened to and it is to be obeyed. And this announcement for which Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit to deliver in all of its gravitas was this, there is good news for the poor. There is liberty to the captive. There is recovery of sight to the blind. There is liberty for the oppressed. This is the year of the Lord's favor. And I love this. You know, you read this and we're reminded that the gospel is for the brokenhearted. The gospel is for the poor. The gospel is for the oppressed. The gospel is for the one who is held captive. Like, how's your heart today? Where's your heart at? Where's your life at? What's going on in your household, in your family, and in your life? Well, let me remind you from the word of God that Jesus came for the one with the broken heart. Jesus' heart beats for the broken hearted. For those who have tasted of the pain of this life and have experienced the bondage of sin, if you're hurting, if you're oppressed, if you feel lost, if you can't see your way through your current circumstance, I gotta tell you, there is good news. In Jesus Christ, you will find the favor and grace of God. And if you will give yourself to Jesus, you will know and experience the grace of God. I have to say this, you know, you're not alone in your poverty. You're not alone in your captivity, in your oppression, 
in your blindness. Let me tell you this, if you are brokenhearted, you would actually be wronging yourself and wronging your soul not to bring those very things to Jesus. You say, Jesus, here I am. I'm just feeling blind. My heart is broken. I don't know what to do in this situation. And, and the promise of the good news is this, is that when you come to Christ, you will find favor. You will find grace. You will find the grace and favor of God. Like that burden you've got, how long have you been carrying that? Bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus and let him take the weight of everything that weighs you down. Because he says this, the captive can be set free. What a tragic thing it is that so often in life we, we bear the weight of our burdens all by ourselves when we could be bringing them to Jesus. I mean, how often do we do this in our lives? And Jesus announces in Nazareth that he delivers those who are oppressed. Jesus delivers those who are held captive by sin's power. Jesus frees from the power of sin. Jesus frees from the penalty of sin. And when Jesus walked on this earth, he touched blind eyes and those darkened eyes saw light. Darkened minds were enlightened. Those who could not understand spiritual realities, the scales fell from their eyes, so to speak, when they came to Jesus. Sin has oppressed us. Sin has held us captive, and Christ has come to set us free. Amen. And Jesus said to that crowd in that synagogue, this is the time of God's favor. It's the day of salvation, the year of the Lord's favor, the dispensation of grace. You know, God's time is now. It's now. You might think, I mean, maybe you don't know Jesus watching with us online or here this morning. You might think, Oh, well, one day, you know, one day maybe I'll do that, that Jesus thing. Maybe one day I'll surrender to Jesus. But you never know what a day will bring. And the time of God is now. The, the, the year of the Lord's favor is now. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And God's time of favor is now, he said. And then he stopped reading that scroll rolled it up. If he had read on, actually, in Isaiah 61, the next thing that he would have read is, is this, that there is a day of vengeance of our God. Jesus didn't read that part. He stopped with the year of the Lord's favor, and he didn't read the day of the vengeance of our God because that day has not yet come. But it's coming soon. <laughs> Might be coming real soon. May not be long, and the Son of God will descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet and the dead in Christ shall rise and we who are left shall be caught up to meet him in the air. The day of vengeance of our God is coming and his wrath will be poured out. The bulls of judgment will be rolled out. But today, church, today, today is the time of God's favor and grace is found in the Lord Jesus Christ for all who come to him. This was the invitation to come to him. So again, look at verse 20. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. 
And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this, is not this Joseph's son? It's like, it's amazing, right? It's just like they spoke so well of him. They're marveling the gracious words that had poured forth from him. They're like, wow, this is awesome. But in their hearts, there was this question. Don't we know this dude? Like, how could he make such claims? Isn't he Joseph's son? The carpenter? Like, didn't he repair our dining room table last year? You know, we know where he comes from. We, we know his family. We know where he lives. Who is he claiming to be? Now, verse 23. He said to them, Doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said to them, and he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Jesus describes himself in two ways in response to this. And, and if you have a pen in your Bible, you should circle these words, the word physician and the word prophet. Okay? The word physician and prophet. Two nouns that he uses to identify himself. Physician and prophet. The idea, of course, behind a physician is a healer. And Jesus is a healer. He didn't come just to heal the physical ailments of human beings, but he is one who cures both the physical and the moral, the spiritual ailments. The idea behind a prophet is one who speaks forth the mysteries of God under the unction and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he said, you're, you're going to call me physician and you're going to call me prophet. And Jesus is both. He is the great physician and he is the Lord's prophet. In fact, the remainder of this chapter is emphasizing that Jesus is physician and Jesus is prophet. That's why I said circle these words because this is what Luke is, this is what the Holy Spirit is driving home as we read on. The, the remainder of this chapter is emphasizing this by telling us about Jesus' supernatural ability to heal by giving demonstrations of his power over evil spirits, which had never been seen before, ever. As to his prophetic, prophetic ministry, we read about his teaching and his preaching. We're going to read quite a few times here in the rest of this little chapter that, that as one who is making known the mysteries of God under the, the power and unction of the Holy Spirit, the earmark of his teaching was summed up with one word, authority the physician and the prophet. And Jesus said to the people of Nazareth, your familiarity with me is going to breed contempt for you in your hearts. You're going to stumble over what you think you know about me and you're going to be unable to receive. But look at verse 25. He said this, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, only Naaman 
the Syrian. Jesus, as he says to this crowd, that you're going to give me these challenges, physician, heal yourself, prophet, do what you did elsewhere, he points to the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. Men who ministered to Gentiles. Men who ministered to those who were outside the family of God because their own people lacked faith to trust God the way that these ungodly Gentiles did. And Jesus applies this to the people of Nazareth. In fact, the scripture tells us everywhere that he never really did any miracles in Nazareth because of their unbelief. And when the people heard the the comparison this day in the synagogue to the ministry of Elijah and Elisha and how they ministered to Gentiles and the children of Israel uh, were unable to receive because of their unbelief, I'll tell you, they didn't like it. Preacher made them mad. You know, and Marvel quickly gave way to wrath. Check out verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were turned to wrath, filled with wrath. And they rose up and they drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Amazing. It's like it's just amazing how fickle this crowd is at the synagogue and what was going on in their hearts. Nazareth is, is actually built on the edge of the valley of Megiddo. It's built on a brow of a hill. You know, when we go there, those of you that have been with us to Israel, you know, we go and visit uh, that cliff. And I just go, wow, you know, like how angry. Have you ever had that happen in a church where you've been, where they like, physically grabbed someone and took them outside to kill them? It's a bad day for a preacher. And you got to wonder what happened, man. It's like, it's like crazy. I just pictured this in my mind. I'm like, what did Jesus do? They like, clearly they roughed him up before they got him to the edge of the town, to that cliff. Scripture doesn't tell us, did he say a word? Did he raise his hand? I mean, I don't know. Did they just part like the Red Sea? And he walked out in their midst? Something happened. And the point is this, like what kind of power does this man have? What kind of authority is this? Verse 31. He went down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee, And he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Capernaum, of course, became the home base for Jesus' ministry. We know this. This is the the hometown of Peter and James and John and Andrew. All those men were from Capernaum. And Capernaum means the town of Nahum, Nahum the prophet. It's a little town on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. It's not a big metropolis. It was a town. And Jesus did more miracles there than anywhere. Like when you go through the scriptures and you just begin to account for all the works in, that happened in Capernaum, there's like no community that got rocked like that one. And on the Sabbath day, Luke tells us, Jesus was in the synagogue teaching and And the reaction of those who heard him was astonishment. The original language means this, that they were 
struck in such a way that their hearts were driven to the place of astonishment. And it's, it's actually really cool language in the original language because it's a, it's a play on words. And, and the nuances are lost for us in translation. The idea is this. In Nazareth, they drove him to the brow to kill him. And in Capernaum, he drove them to astonishment. They were driven out by his teaching with this sense of amazement. And the thing that drove their amazement was the power that was present. The authority. They had not heard a teacher like this. The the liberty to do and to say what he pleased in his teaching. He didn't need permission. (laughs) He didn't have to borrow from other teachers. Because he himself was empowered and anointed by the Holy Spirit. And it was very evident. It was thick. I mean, i got to say this. You've never been to a church like this. Like we're reading about, I mean, you have never heard teaching like this. Glimpses, maybe, little tastes of authority and teaching. But the authority that marked Jesus' preaching drove people to astonishment. Your jaw was on the floor when it was over. Verse 33, it says this, In the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I mean, the people were astonished partially because they did not understand yet who Jesus was, but... You know, they didn't know that he was the Holy One of God. But the demons knew. The demon there present in that person knew who Jesus was. You know, demons know that. They know the identity of Jesus. Demons do not question the identity of Jesus. Demons do not question the deity of Jesus. Angels don't question the deity or or, or identity of Jesus either, which is amazing, because human beings do. It's like human beings are the only creatures in the entire universe where people say, oh yeah, he's not really God. Human beings are the only creatures in the universe that don't believe Jesus is God. And, and it's like crazy. This world is the only place where that happens. I think this, you know, if you ever wondered what sin is, let me describe it this way. Only human beings are so uninformed and so arrogant as to believe that Jesus is not God and then to think that they can assume his position and make their own path of salvation. That is sin. That is sin. The demon knew who Jesus was. Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. It's amazing, too, because there's something else going on here. See, the demon possessed the man. But Luke tells us Jesus possessed authority. I like that word, possession. The demon possessed the man, but Jesus possessed authority. Verse 35, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst... He came out of him, 
having done him no harm. You know why I did him no harm? Because this is the ministry of the great physician. Do no harm. Do no harm. Verse 36. They were all amazed, and they said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports, again we read, and reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Look, Jesus didn't want demons to testify as to his identity. At this point, no one understood who he was. No one knew who he was. Uh, they had not come to the point, these, these people, where they'd been led to trust him in faith. In fact, it would take the disciples three more years before Peter would make a confession of faith. Jesus did not want or need the testimony of evil spirits. For he would demonstrate by his own actions, in his own words, that he was both physician and prophet. And so by his own power, he did something that they had never seen before. With a word, he silenced the demon and set that demon-possessed man free. Silenced the demon and set the man free. And the amazement, the amazement, I mean, I, I, I just think, you know, so often I read these, these scriptural accounts and I lose my sense of awe. Does that happen for you? It's like it gets so familiar. You, maybe some of you, like me, heard many of these accounts since you were a child and it's like you're like one of the people of Nazareth. Familiarity for you breeds contempt. They were amazed. They had not seen anything like this. And I don't know about you. I mean, I've seen some demonic activity. But I've never seen anything like this. We read about what Jesus did that day. And so rightfully, the crowd was amazed and the word spread. So the Holy Spirit, you guys, is demonstrating for us that Jesus is physician. He is the healer of the moral and physical ailments of men. And the Holy Spirit is demonstrating for us that he is prophet, one who speaks forth the mysteries of God under the unction and authority of the Spirit of God. Word went out to every place. Now check out verse 38. He arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. It sounds like she needs a physician. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve. This is not normally what a doctor does. I, I haven't even been to the doctor lately. It's not usually how it goes, does it? You know, take two aspirin, call me in the morning. Uh, you know, no, let me write you this prescription. Go see the pharmacist at London Drugs, okay? This is not how it goes. He stood over her, the great physician, and with the word... He rebuked the fever and it was gone. Left. And then I love what she does. She rises and she just begins to serve. It's wonderful. What a great woman. It's a good pattern for us to see. Jesus healed her and she rose and served. And so, you know, has Jesus set you free? Then you should serve. You should find places to serve. You should go looking for places to serve. Have you recognized your call, uh, the call of God on your life to serve? So here's Luke. You know, Luke, 
accounts for us one single case of a man being set free, one single uh, from demonic possession, one single case of a woman being set free from sickness. And this is the authority of Jesus. And should you as like a, a reader be reading your Bible and you think to yourself, well, you know, it's kind of lucky, fluky. You know, probably anybody, that could happen from time to time, you know. The power of suggestion. The power of positivity. You know, we could just maybe conclude with this, that Jesus like tapped into something, some Christ consciousness that maybe we could tap into and participate in. We could do this. No, no, no. Luke says, these demonstrations were not one-offs. Check it out. These were not one-offs. Verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all, say all, all, all who had any were sick with various diseases, brought them to him, and he laid hands on everyone. Say everyone. Everyone of them, and he healed them. And demons also came out of many. Say many. Many. Many crying, you are the son of God, and he rebuked them, and he would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. I mean, wow, you guys. It's like a party that night in Capernaum. Luke, we know this. Luke himself was a physician by vocation, by training. And he tells us these actions of power and authority of Jesus were not done in singularity. They weren't done in the singular they were done in the plural, and it was everyone. It was anyone who came to him. They were many, so many that Luke said it was all of them, that it was everyone who came to Jesus, and many were healed and freed from demonic possession. Every demon was silenced. Every demon-possessed person was set free. Jesus didn't go looking for the demons they came looking for him. It was a confrontation of power. And Jesus did not want the testimony of demons declaring that he was the Christ. He did not want the testimony of demons telling people that he was the Holy One of God. He wanted people to see for themselves what he did and to hear what he said and to come to a conclusion for themselves. This man has authority. <laughs> This man is the Son of God. This man is a physician, a prophet from God. More than that, he is Christ, the Son of God. Amen. And that's what all of us have to do. You have to come to your own conclusion about Jesus. Your own conclusion that he's the Christ. Your own conclusion that he is the Lord. And you have to entrust your life, your broken heart, into the hands of the great physician. Trust yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting for me as I was thinking about this, the difference between trusting yourself and trusting Jesus is a matter of authority. It's power. When you trust yourself, it's all a guessing game, isn't it? <laughs> it's like if you like to gamble, trust yourself. Because you don't know. You're at liberty. You're at liberty to choose. But you do not possess the power that guarantees you will get the desired outcome at the end of your life. 
And what the gospel of Luke is demonstrating to us is this, is that Jesus does. Jesus does have that authority. And the question is this, from the one who came to seek and save the lost, whom will we trust? Will we trust ourselves or Christ? Verse 42, And when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. And he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. I threw a little outline up there. I kept, it's funny, I was going through this text, I kept seeing P's everywhere. There's just P, you know, power, proclaim, possess, this, that, whatever. Physician, prophet. <laughs> and then Blake made a joke about P's in the announcements. I thought, wow, that was fitting this morning. Those were Holy Spirit-led announcements. Let me give you three right here at the end. Desolate place, people sought his purpose to preach. Desolate place. The Gospels tell us, the Gospel accounts tell us that this was Jesus' practice to get alone, to seek places of desolation. We actually just read that he's just come out of the wilderness. He sought quiet places. He was led to quiet places by the Spirit of God so that he could get alone with the Father, to be in tune with the Father's will, to be assured of the Father's presence. To know what the Father wanted him to do, it seems that a common practice for Jesus, and I think his daily routine was to rise before the sun was up and to get alone with the Father. But people were seeking him. Even though he was retreating to places for prayer, even in desolate places, people were seeking him. And it's not that he minded they so loved to hear him speech, speak and, and watch what he was doing as he would heal people. Uh, they were just quite happy to keep Jesus all to themselves, you know. But Jesus said this, my purpose, I was sent for this purpose to announce a kingdom. And so he went from community to community, synagogue to synagogue, preaching throughout all of Judea. And with the authority that was inherently his, by the mandate of the Father and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he was to preach from town to town, announcing the good news, proclaiming as a herald, all the gravity of the kingdom of God. And this is really the first time that we start to read about this. Like John gave us some hints in Luke chapter 3 as he would announce the good news of the kingdom. But Jesus preached the kingdom of God, which has to do with the rule of God. And there's some things that are really obvious about a kingdom. You know, like a kingdom has a king, right? The king is Jesus. We say, at your service, your majesty. Jesus is the majesty. He is the sovereign. He is the authority, the power that rules on the throne of the kingdom. And a kingdom has subjects. And in God's kingdom, service is voluntary. There's no political parties, no elections. So happy about that. There is a sovereign. And the sovereign rules 
his subjects and his subjects obey him. Kingdom, of course, has a sphere of power and authority and activity. The authority of the kingdom stretches. We, we find this as we read the gospel accounts that the authority of this kingdom stretches beyond the realm of the natural and the physical into the realm of the spirit, into the realm of the hearts of men and women. You know, I think about kings. I mean, a bad king lives for himself and uses his subjects to seek his own pleasure. A good king will live for his subjects. Our king died for his subjects. And when you look throughout all of history, I mean, there are plenty of examples of bad kings, aren't there? There's like few examples of good kings and plenty of examples of bad kings. I want to tell you something. I found the perfect king. Have you found him? The perfect king. His name is Jesus. The authority of his word. There's nothing that compares. His word is life. The authority of his power. It extends over things seen and unseen. It extends over the physical and the spiritual. And this morning, from the word of God, I proclaim to you the kingdom of God and his majesty's name is Jesus. He is the Christ. I proclaim to you that Jesus is physician and prophet. And if you will entrust your broken heart to him, he will heal it. And if you refuse him, he will break you. Nothing compares to his authority. Will you stand with me? Let's pray this morning. Worship team, come. Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. We confess that we need a physician. One who won't harm us. One whom we can trust. Trust with our lives. Trust with the very things of our heart. So Jesus, we just acknowledge before heaven, before you this morning, that you are the great physician. We present our hearts to you, Jesus. Lord, we bring our burdens to you. Lord, you know every heart and every mind here this morning. You know the things that are weighing on us, the things that have oppressed us, the things that have broken us. We present it to you today, Jesus, and trust you with our hearts. Asking you heal us, Lord, pour your grace into our lives. Jesus, we acknowledge that you are the prophet sent from God. The one whose word possesses authority. Authority over demons. Authority over sickness. Authority over disease. There is no greater authority than the word of Jesus. Jesus, would you speak over our lives? Would you change us and transform us, Jesus? Jesus, we invite you, your majesty, 
to take your rightful place in the throne of our hearts. We invite you, Jesus, to exert your rule, to take every nook and cranny of our hearts and to bring your authority and bring your order and to bring your kingdom. And Jesus, this morning, we offer ourselves in service to you, Lord. Maybe we don't even know what that looks like. But we would just say like Isaiah, Lord, here we are. Send us. Use us. Lord, we put ourselves at your disposal for your kingdom and for your glory. May your kingdom come on earth, Lord, as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.